You're listening to the Workforce Wise podcast from Equifax, where we help you better manage your workforce by saving time, reducing risk, and focusing on increasing profits. Hello, and welcome to the Workforce Wise podcast. Today, we've got a pretty exciting guest on. Uh, So Henry was able to talk to our strategic cab a few weeks ago about vaccine mandates, and he received glowing reviews, both from the information he was able to share and from his knowledge of the subject. So today we're gonna talk a lot about vaccine mandates, about how to plan for them, and what employers need to know as we are looking at what's gonna happen over the next few months as it pertains to vaccine mandates. I'm gonna introduce Henry. Henry Perlowski is a partner in the litigation practice and is chair of the employment practice. And he also helps employers solve some of the most legal dilemmas. Henry works at Arnold Golden Gregory, and he is an expert in both the vaccine mandates and overall employment law. Thank you for being with us today, Henry. Thanks very much, Jason. Great being with you today. So Henry, let's start at the very beginning. Uh, What are you hearing? What are employers asking you about? What's the biggest topics that you're hearing when we talk about vaccine mandates today? So so it's amazing. Um, We talked to this uh, client strategic advisory board last week, and so much has changed since last week. Uh, So the OSHA, President Biden and OSHA issued the emergency temporary standard. It was announced on Thursday, published on Friday, which set forth more of the rules of the game with respect to the federal government's vaccine mandate on all employers with 100 or more employees. Well, as expected, there was immediate significant litigation filed to stop the mandate. So the questions that we've been receiving since Saturday have been, now what do we do? because we really don't know whether the mandate's going into effect or not. The the short answer to that question is sort of stay tuned, make plans as if it is going to go into effect, but there's a pretty decent chance that it's not. And if it's not, then OSHA probably I wouldn't say goes back to the drawing board, but then they try to address the concerns that have been raised. What, what's Legally, it's a complete mess because there's litigation in four different circuits. And so certain litigation is private employers, certain litigation is a coalition of states, another lawsuit's another coalition of states. It's basically, let's try to file cases in the courts, in the circuits that we think are the best circuits to overturn the mandate, right? In terms of just playing your odds, try to get as many favorable rulings against the mandate as possible to set it up to see if the Supreme Court's gonna look at the issue. And the Supreme Court's gonna decide we do or don't wanna get involved. And and by the way, I don't think that that it's a definite that the Supreme Court decides it does want to get involved because it is such a political issue and the Supreme Court, for reasons maybe beyond the mandate, may not want to step into that politics. So it's really, really uncertain, Jason, as to where things are today because of the legal challenges, which are going to move through the court system very quickly. But 
I think the guidance right now is make plans to comply, but you may not have to. Yeah, and I know that as attorneys, uncertainty is good for us because it's kind of what we do. But for employers, uncertainty can be really, really hard, especially if it has to do with bringing on new employees and employee relations and making sure that those employees understand what's going on, uh, kind of just from their day to day. So what would your recommendation be for employers? I know you said make a plan, but what does that look like? What does yeah. make a plan look like for employers? So, so I think so. So, so you start with logistically. Okay. So the, so going back to the, some of the key provisions of the temporary standard, figure out, first of all, are you subject to it? Most employers are going to be subject to it. It's a hundred. It's a hundred or more employees. It's not at the location level. It's at the company level. OSHA wasn't crystal clear whether it goes to the control group level. And by that, I mean, let's say you have two companies that are both have fifty-five employees, but they have a common owner. Do just fifty-five plus fifty-five equal over a hundred? I suspect that that's how that plays out. Um, so first of all, figure out coverage. Then you figure out, do I have an excluded, do I have excluded segments of the workforce and excluded segments of the workforce, people who work remotely, people who work exclusively outdoors, people who are otherwise, if you're otherwise covered. So by the kind of the company level, are you otherwise covered by another mandate? Because if you are, then this mandate doesn't apply to you. So just figure out coverage, both as a company and as at the employee level. Then you have the option, and by the way, I, as I told the strategic advisory board last week, I thought that the testing alternative, which is clearly picked up in the ETS standard, was going to be what the government tried to rely upon and basically say, because the, the arguments that are being raised right now is that OSHA is really going beyond protection of the workforce and is delving into broader health issues that are beyond the scope of its authority. OSHA said, look, we're not telling anybody that they have to have, have, have their workers be vaccinated. They can do a weekly testing as an alternative and that suffices. And you can even mix and match. Like you can say vaccinated for some segments of the workforce, weekly testing for others. So in terms of planning, what, what we would also recommend employers do is figure out, okay, what segment, assuming it goes forward as drafted, what are we going to do with respect to segments of the workforce? If you're customer facing, are we going to make you be vaccinated? And you may make that decision based on what your customers are mandating to you. You know, we have certainly clients who literally by virtue of their business, they have to go into places where they're not going to open the door unless you're vaccinated. So you have to factor what you're going to do, understanding that employee retention is such a challenge right now on the, on the flip side. So you have to tactically make those decisions of, do I think by mandating I'm going to lose a critical mass of employees where I'm not going to be able to make widgets anymore? Mm-hmm. And, and so those conversations should probably, you should, we recommend that businesses be going forward with those conversations, period. Uh, because, it, because you may have to do this. 
I, I doubt that it'll still be by early January, but who knows right now? Um, going to the uncertainty question, and, and, I, and I'm aware that in this, in this case, I don't like uncertainty because, I mean, we're certainly a business that would be covered by it. And I don't like telling clients, your guess is as good as mine. That's typically not what clients want to hear, but it's, it's a, it's right. a, it's a frustrating, right. it is frustrating in the sense that there is so much uncertainty about it. Um, but you can, you can at least get down to, if I have to do this, what am I going to, what decisions am I going to make with respect to what aspects of my workforce have those conversations now? The compliance aspects in terms of getting policies in place, you know, that can be done pretty quickly. That can be done on pretty short notice. Um, how are you going to, you know, with respect to tests, you know, start thinking about how you're going to monitor and implement and testing requirements for where you're going to do test for where you're going to give the testing option instead. Figure out, does your state mandate that you pay for the testing? Because the ETS does not mandate that employers pay for the testing. So think about, does just does my state or where I have locations, or is that state law going to mandate that I pay for the testing? Am I, if, if, employees, if employees have to pay for the testing, is anyone going to get dropped below minimum wage as a result of having to pay for the testing? And is that going to create issues? So there's some satellite things that you can start thinking about in the discussion. So it was interesting oh. to me too, that you interest, that you talked a little bit about states may require something different. Um, can you talk a little bit outside of the federal mandate? And we'll come back to that a little bit too, but sure. are states taking any different viewpoints? Are they doing anything on their own? It seems like yep. we may end up with a patchwork, at least in the meantime, before we kind of see the end sure. of the federal piece. So, so the one thing, the federal, the ETS specifically said that it preempts any contradictory state law. So if a state, and there are more and more of them are popping up every day now, are, are issuing prohibitions on mandates. So you have, you have the states that are saying we're going to mandate and the states that are, that are, that are mandating it's typically more limited. It's not employers at large. It's uh, if you work in certain segments of the economy, if you're a state government employee, if you work in healthcare, if you work in education, mm -hmm. it, it's more in industry. So, and I think that that brings up an interesting conversation for employers too, not just um, if their state or the state where they're headquartered in might have a differing opinion or a different set of legislation, but also one thing that we've seen more and more especially over the past 21 months, is employers who end up with employees in all different states where they've never done business before because they're now able to hire remote or an entire piece of their workforce may have been remote and moved to a different state while they were either shut down or not able to come to work every day. So can you talk a little bit about other things that employers need to think about when they think about just from state to state and where they may have employees? Absolutely. You need to have your you need to have your footprint covered and make the assumption that where the employee is based, the law is going to apply. So if you have people in Kentucky, Kentucky law is going to apply. If you've got people in Montana, Montana's prohibition is going to apply. 
And, you know, it's not crystal clear in Montana what that prohibition practically means. Like, for example, can you, can an employee bring a lawsuit because you're putting them on a le unpaid leave of absence because they're not vaccinated? They very well may. And so you have to have your entire footprint covered. And you make the excellent point where people tend to forget that people wor working remotely are in a different state. It's, a, it's, it's easier to think, oh, okay, I've got buildings in Arkansas. Okay, I'm in Arkansas. But here, this is the, this is the, our law firm has two physical locations, one in Georgia and one in Washington, D.C. We have people working in other states right now. So wherever we have people working, we better darn well pay attention to those state laws. And that tends to slip through the cracks when you're mm -hmm. talking about micro planning. So if you're in HR or if you're in legal, you have to factor, if I have someone in a location, I have to pay attention to that state's law. And, and again, yeah. at, the, at the federal yeah. level, again, the ETS applies company-wide. It's not you have 100 employees in a specific state. It's 100 employees total. So ETS may apply even if you have two people in a given state and that state law's mandate or prohibition against the mandate is going to apply too. So you have to just figure out the, the, how that gets reconciled. And, and so when we talk about policies talk about and policy. we'll talk a little bit about managing policies too and what employers need to think about when kind of they go through. But one thing that we're seeing is employers more and more may not know where those employees are. Because quite frankly, employees' first action when they move isn't necessarily telling their employer they've moved, especially if they're working mm -hmm. remote and with more and more people working remote. So we always um, kind of tell our employer clients that one of the most important things that they can do is make sure that the home address is correct for right. those work at home employees, not just for something like this, but also for wages and making sure that the W-2s and all those notices get sent to the right place. But that's one of the things that we usually start with with our employers, especially in the onboarding world. We need to make sure we don't we keep up to date where, where those employees are actually living and working so we can make sure that we know what to do when something like this happens. It, it's a really good time to send out that one question survey to your entire workforce and process the information that you receive with, in response to that. That's an easy way to get the information. We need everybody to apply to respond to this survey by Friday. What What is your current address? Where do you currently, where do you currently reside? Where do you currently reside? Because by the way, address and residence, that's where you get all sorts of issues because look, let's say someone has an address in Florida because they don't want to pay state income taxes but they're really working in another location. So it's like, where is your principal, where are you working out of right now? That's almost as direct, that's almost the relevant question, not where do you have an address? Right, just so you know. And again, we're seeing more and more employers just not know where they may have employees. I think so that's exactly right. Yeah, so it's becoming um, increasingly difficult to know, not just for something like this, but also notices and annual notifications that those states may require. So it's always a good mm -hmm. uh, practice to at least uh, once a year to send out, like you said, that survey to say, hey, we make sure we understand where you're at. And especially now, because yeah. I think, well, businesses have been accustomed to dealing with certain aspects of the remote workforce, 
I mean, you're not accustomed to drinking from a fire hose typically, and that's what everybody's been doing since COVID. And now sort of the legal issues associated with it are starting to catch up. We're every, you know, every, the lay of the land's kind of been set and people and, and on the plaintiff side, lawyers are thinking, hmm, I know where the traps are. And now I'm going to, and now I'm going to, now I'm going to take advantage of those traps if companies have fallen into them. And I, that's starting to materialize significantly on every front, on the wage and hour front, as you mentioned, on notices, yeah. on, on employee counts, on, on now you're going to have issues with mandates and whether they can be enforced or not. Because I do know clearly there has been so much litigation, including litigation that candidly had virtually no chance of succeeding. But it's such a political issue that it's going to be really easy to find somebody to bring cases. Because right. you're it's, never going to run out of plaintiffs. Yeah, you're not. You're not going to run out of plaintiffs. And you're not going to run out of plaintiffs attorneys who want to make a statement for the cause because they think it's going to, in the long term, inure to their benefit. To get even more out of today's episode, make sure you get your free tools like webinars, ebooks, videos, and more at equifax.com slash wise. Employers, and I know that we talk a lot, um, especially when we're talking about compliance and some of the more heavily regulated pieces of compliance on onboarding. We talk a lot with our employer clients about having a good set of policies and that a good set of policies can not only help them make sure that they're doing things correctly, but it can also help them if anything ever happens down the road to be able to document what those policies were, even if someone went astray of the policies. So can you talk a little bit about what you're recommending when we talk specifically about policies around COVID mandates and sure. for, the, for the vaccine and what should employers think about, not just with the policies, but how to update those and keep them updated going. Sure. So OSHA has issued some templates. So it did issue templates for, for COVID, for, for the vaccine, vaccine mandate policies. Given that OSHA's blessed them, tell you, to, you know, that's a pretty darn good place to start. Um, you wanna have customized forms for accommodation requests, both religious and disability. Um, we have templates of those, Jason. I'm happy to share them with you and you can disseminate them. But I also think that, for example, if you're going to make distinctions between mandate uh, vaccine versus testing, have some justification behind that, right? This is why we're doing it. You want to have a communication going out to your workforce that explains to them what you're doing and why. I, and, I, and I kind of, as much of, as much legal, that's also, um, I think it's really important to be a good communicator right now about why you're doing what you're doing, because you also have to deal with the retention aspect of your workforce and being transparent and doing the best you can to explain why you're doing what you're doing and being willing to listen is, even if you don't agree, you have to listen. I think that's really important. And so it, it goes into the whole communication aspect of being a good employer. And the better a communicator you are, the less likely you're going to come into problems with your workforce. So you want to you want to have a communications plan and, and justification behind the decisions that you're making, whether it be mandate or or testing. And I will tell you, if you're going to mandate, also you want to you want to get out in front of okay. This is why we believe that if our employees are not vaccinated, there's some kind of direct threat 
to public to, to the health of either employees, uh, patients, customers, because that's going to also help you deal with some disability accommodation requests that may come in. So yet to start thinking about that from a process and documentation standpoint, in addition to getting all of your templates out, your your communications, whether it be a town hall or, or what, your communications plan, your accommodation forms, and getting that all lined up. Yeah, and anytime you're working with employees, it's important to know that again, you're getting you're meeting those employees where they are, not necessarily where you are. And keeping in mind that they may not be a monolithic group. So they also have their own viewpoints and views of the world. So that communications piece, I think, is of utmost importance. But let's say you do come kind of up with a group of employees who just absolutely refuse, absolutely refuse to comply. Um, what are you telling your clients if, to plan for, to think about if they actually just have a group of employees that say, nope, not going to comply? Sure. So first of all, going back to the policy thing, you want to clearly state what the ramifications of non-compliance will be. We also recommend that you don't immediately, you know, you don't immediately go to termination. This is the, using the monopoly analogy, this is not the do not pass go, do not collect 200. You may actually need to spend some time in the, in, in the jail and hope you roll doubles. So what you do then, instead, what we're telling clients to do is give people, put people on unpaid leave for a period of time, because if you're if if you are not being paid for thirty days, and I'm just saying this as as objective fact, not it's a large segment of the workforce that cannot afford to be unpaid for thirty days. Right. So you're really putting people's you're really putting the the principle or the philosophical political objection to the monetary test of am I willing to put my money where my proverbial mouth is? And you've seen the statistics from the, from the large employers, the United Airlines, the Navants, who have put in mandatory policies. It takes some time, but the numbers go way, way up as you put more pressure on the workforce to get vaccinated. So consider your unpaid leave option, 30 days, and use that before you're then going to say, okay, you're still not vaccinated or, you, or you're not submitting to testing, understand after this 30 days, it's over. And by the way, unemployment should be jeopardized in that because you're not complying with a company policy, which is typically a reason why a company can succeed in an unemployment claim if they choose to contest it. Right, and we actually had, an entire segment on UC claims and what to think about with the vaccine mandates and one around the ACA impacts that there may be for uh, vaccine mandates and testing alternatives. So a lot of really interesting information and things that HR might think about, but doesn't generally think about from day to day. And I think that's probably what makes it both so interesting for us and maybe so confusing for HR because it is something that maybe they're not dealing with all the time. Um, so I know you talked a little bit about exceptions in the exception process. I've seen a couple of different types of exceptions that are allowed, especially mm -hmm. under the federal piece. What are you seeing kind of as the biggest groupings of exceptions? So 
the, the exception, so the disability exception request should be pretty straightforward. Does an employee have a health condition that prevents the employee from taking the vaccine? And if that's the case, that, that, that should be fairly objective data to evaluate. If, it, if, if the information is coming from a remotely credible source, you accept it and you look at what your other alternatives will be, which be testing. And like in the ETS, there's the mask mandates associated with untested, you know, with, with unvaccinated employees. So you look to that. And by the way, companies have been doing that already in large part. The religious requests are, that's the area, as I mentioned earlier, that companies are really struggling with because what you're getting is a lot of philosophical requests that are in effect. I, I don't mean to use this as derogatory as it's going to sound, but the, the philosophical requests being masked as religious objections. And the presumption is generally that you should believe it, although the EEOC has recently come out and said, employers have at it in terms of questioning these requests, because the, the current administration wants as many people to be vaccinated as possible. So they're giving employers leverage to question the validity of these requests. The problem is employers have to have systems and time to do so. And that's what the real struggle has been, which is why you have companies looking to say, I, I, my hands are up. I got to I got to send this to somebody else to do it for me. Right. And so I'm in the business of being in business. That. Yeah, I'm in right. the business of being yeah. in business, not in the business of monitoring these exception requests. And seeing exactly. What they all I, I, yeah. I, how am I supposed to vet whether a religion I've never heard of is anti-vaccine? Well, that, right. and, and that's what HR is not. That's yeah, right. HR, HR departments are not staffed for that. It's no anything they no. hate more than uncertainty is an ex, <laughs> company wide unplanned work. And this is the epitome of company plan, company wide unplanned work. When we're talking about something like um, how to deal with the exception process, especially if you're getting hundreds of them or thousands of them at a time. Right. And, and I think and I think that that's the unfortunate reality of what we're dealing with is, look, I, I, I can you can understand. Even if you don't agree why there's a push to mandates, because candidly, the administration's thinking it's the only way I'm going to get the economy on on clearly stable grounds. I, I don't need to deal with the next version, whatever the next variant is that puts us into a swoon again. I mean, look, I, I get all that. But businesses are not staffed to deal with this. And that's just the reality of it. Because especially when you factor how much businesses are struggling just to keep themselves staffed. And that's what human resources and management needs to be focused on. How do I have enough people who are qualified to make the widget? And, and to have this additional layer on top of it, it's very, very difficult right now. Yeah, and um, honestly... I do quite a bit of work in product and product management for our company. So I spend an inordinate amount of time talking to HR generalists and HR practitioners in general. And I have not met one yet that said I joined HR because I wanted to deal in federal mandates or right. wanted to make sure that we stayed compliant with a new set of rules. They want to right. make sure people are in the right jobs and enjoying their jobs and getting paid for the jobs they're doing, not necessarily every day figuring out exactly how to comply or how to be compliant with a new set of regulations that may change 
over and over again. Uh, Harry, I know you mentioned too some pretty stiff penalties for employers who mm -hmm. may run afoul of, especially the federal um, mandates. Can you talk a little bit about the penalties that might be associated with it, both at the federal and if there are any state um, penalties well, that there's, employers there's might not, need to there's think not about? A lot of yeah, there's not a lot of clarity yet on the federal, on the penalty side. I mean, the administration announced an intention to fine up to $14,000 per violation. And, and look, when I saw that number, I was, I wasn't surprised on the one sense because they want to send an aggressive message of we expect compliance and there's going to be ramifications. But per violation, if you think about that, if you have a significant workforce size, it's a pretty stiff number, especially when OSHA was issuing violation of fines that paled in comparison to that number when you were dealing with fatality cases last year following COVID. I mean, so when you think about it from a proportionality standpoint, it's pretty difficult. And I would expect that there will be challenges on the fines as well about, you know, on arbitrary, capricious, et cetera. Yeah. And again, yeah. Anytime there's uncertainty, it's difficult, not just for the business, but especially for for HR. Um, I, we've talked about a lot and we've talked about a lot of very specific things, some general things. What have we missed? What are you thinking about that we haven't talked about yet? Is there anything else that employers just need to be thinking about as more and more information starts coming out? Well, I, I think and look, I, there's a lot of sources of information out there. Um, you've got, it, it, this is a real time, things evolve, things have been evolving faster than I can candidly remember it. Um, you know, literally on Thursday, it gets published, reading it up on it on Thursday, legal challenge on Friday, injunction on Saturday, briefing Monday and Tuesday. I mean, that's the kind of world we're living in right now. I just think you... I, and this is especially challenging for the smaller employers that don't necessarily have the infrastructure, for example, that an Equifax has. So if you if you are infrastructure challenge, you don't have an in-house legal department or you have a legal in-house legal department of one or you have only a couple of people in HR. You got to keep abreast of this stuff. So having a really reliable source of information that you can count on as being good information is more important than ever right now. Um, and I, I continue to go back to being really sensitive to how you're communicating to your employees about this, because in the world we live in, 45% of, of, of the population is going to disagree with you. Maybe there's 10% that can be swayed either way on an issue, but 45% of, of your workforce is going to disagree with you. So understanding your workforce and how aggressive you're going to be given your workforce is probably more important than ever because you don't want to strictly comply with the ETS if it's going to be enforced and find out that you have 20% less people a month from now than you had today. I think that's as important as anything is just right. being Especially attuned yeah, when it's getting harder and harder to find people, much less 20% right. of your staff, right? Right. Right. It's interesting times for employers, to say the least. Um, I do have actually another question about record keeping, especially when we're talking about um, some very specific sure. medical information for these employees. 
I, in a world where employers may not have mm-hmm. been keeping this type of information on their employees in the past, is there anything that employers need to think about since this is yeah. considered so, medical information sure. for the employees? And, and this is true irrespective of the ETS. This is true under in the existing body of case law. If you have information, like for example, um, my law firm has records of vaccination status because it's a factor in your health insurance analysis. So we look at a number of issues and you get a point if you're, you know, if your blood pressure is at a certain level or not, if you've been vaccinated or not. So we keep the information irrespective of any of the OSHA issues. That information needs to be segregated. It needs to be in human resources, in segregated files because it contains medical information. So any, and and the ETS is specific about this, about what you have to do from a record keeping perspective. It's also specific as to what kind, if if you're gonna do the testing option, what kind of tests are approved, not your home self-tests unless they're administered by a telehealth provider or on-site supervise. You can't just have somebody say, I took the rapid test this morning, I'm good, right? For vaccination status, you have to have, um, you know, there's, if, if there's, if you don't have proof of the vaccination status, then um, there's a way to get an employee attestation, but all that information should be segregated in confidential files maintained by human resources and not be accessible except with the people who have specifically have a need to know. Yeah, and I think that that's important for especially HR practitioners to realize that this may sit outside of the other HR files that they've got. Um, Henry, I, I, one more time, anything that we're not thinking about, anything we haven't talked about that employers I might think need we, to know about? I, I think we've hit, I think we've hit a, a good overview of, of the topics and the challenges that businesses are facing right now. I'm sure after we get off this call, Jason, that 10 minutes later, I'm going to think of something else, but I think we've done, I think we've hit a lot of the high points. Yeah. And the I challenges. Too, and I think that. Uh, especially the challenges. I think that our um, clients and the folk who um, listen to the podcast will really appreciate your point of view and your expertise on this subject. So I want to take a minute just to thank you for uh, co-hosting today with us and sharing a lot of really great information for our listeners. And I hope for our listeners that they've heard something that they can put into practice at their organizations. And again, just thank you, Henry. Oh, thank, thanks very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to the Workforce Wise podcast. And don't forget to download your free tools at equifax.com wise. While you're there, check out our other episodes and sign up for our live tech demo to see our solutions in action. And to keep our lawyers happy, you should know the information provided on the Workforce Wise podcast is intended as general guidance and not intended to convey specific tax or legal advice. For tax or legal information pertaining to your company and its specific facts and needs, please consult your own tax advisor or legal counsel. The views expressed are those of the discussion leaders and do not necessarily reflect official positions of Equifax. Investor analysts should direct inquiries using the contact us box on the investor relations section at equifax.com.